chapter 1, verses 12 to 26. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Julie. Uh, you might want to follow uh, in the outline uh, that you got in your new sheet. There's also the passage that will be helpful to have in front of you. So if you don't have your outline, make sure you've got the passage uh, in a Bible uh, or on your phone. Uh, the word apostle uh, means someone sent uh, with a message. It was a general for, uh, term referring to envoys, uh, messages, uh, and ambassadors. But in the New Testament, it's used as a title like Big A Apostle for those uh, personally commissioned by Jesus 
uh, to proclaim the gospel message. The news that Jesus is Messiah and Lord, that he was crucified and raised from the dead and that he has been appointed by God to rule the world. That's the message of the gospel. Paul was a big A apostle. In Acts chapter 9, Jesus says this to Ananias about Paul. Go, uh, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. But listen to what Jesus says next. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Uh, from the beginning, Jesus warns that representing him will mean suffering. Imagine this was a job offer, right? Title, apostle. Key responsibility, preach the gospel. Key tasks, suffering. And Paul really did suffer. He was pursued and persecuted. He was betrayed and beaten. And now he writes to the Philippians from prison and he's facing execution. Aussies love a good whinge, don't we? The Apostle Paul actually had something to whinge about. Yet he doesn't. He doesn't whinge or grumble. In fact, he does the opposite. He rejoices. Why? How? How can you be joyful in a situation like that? Well, it really is a question of priorities. By the grace of God, Paul does not consider his own welfare as primary. To him, even his life is secondary because he's completely dedicated to the Lord Jesus Christ and his gospel. And so, because Paul's imprisonment is actually serving to advance the gospel, and because he's so confident that Christ will be exalted in his life or his death, he rejoices. And today, God invites us to share his mindset. Take a look with me at verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Now you'd think Paul's first concern here would be his own welfare and his own future, but it's not. His first concern is to assure the Philippians that even though he is in chains, the gospel is not. And this attitude is just so striking. Paul's imprisonment, you see, could have been, or really should have been, a real setback. Uh, cut the head off the, and the body, cut the head off and the body can't function, right? But under God's sovereign hand, the opposite had happened. Paul's imprisonment actually served to advance the gospel. You see, verse 13, because of Paul's imprisonment, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Paul wasn't in prison because he was a thief or a murderer. He was in chains for Christ, on behalf of Christ. Jesus told Paul and he told all his followers that this would happen. Proclaim my name and you will suffer. 
they will treat you the same way that they treated me. You see, being all in with Jesus means being ready to stand firm in the face of mockery, hostility and even persecution. Are you ready? I think the gospel is wonderful. But the announcement that Jesus is Lord isn't good news for everybody. It really depends which side of the fence that you sit on. Announcement. This term, school is finishing two weeks early. Good news or bad news? Well, it depends. Taylor Swift is releasing a new album. Good news, bad news, or who is Taylor Swift? The gospel that we bear divides. It upends society. It speaks to those who peddle greed, who oppress the vulnerable, to governments who usurp the authority that belongs to God alone. The gospel says Jesus is in charge, not you. And his rule is one of love, justice, and righteousness. And you answer to him. The gospel means things just can't stay the way they are. I don't get to set my own moral compass. Christ does. And that's not good news for everyone. But if we are seeking God, if we long for his forgiveness, if we long for justice, for peace, for wholeness, for salvation, then the gospel is the best news ever. Pause in chains for Christ, for this gospel. And that created opportunities. What are you in for? Did you steal something? No. Did you murder someone? No. Have you been watching Married at First Sight? No. Well, then why are you in here? Well, let me tell you. Under the sovereign power of God, Paul's chains of bondage unchain the gospel of Christ. And consistently throughout the New Testament and throughout history, that's what persecution has done. It's unchained the gospel. You might know the story of the gospel in China. Uh, before communism in China, in 1949, it was estimated there are about just under one million uh, believers, Christians. Under the communist regime, Christianity was ruthlessly oppressed. No evangelism, no public worship, no gatherings like we have here this morning. Bibles and hymn books burnt, leaders imprisoned and killed. And so for many Christians, whispered fellowship, just passing little bits of scripture on bits of paper, was all that was possible. Uh, we know that China started to open up in the mid-90s, and the expectation was that these kind of weak embers of Christianity would have been stamped out. But instead, under persecution, the gospel had roared into life. There were now over 7 million believers, a 700% increase for those who like stats. 
That number is estimated to be over 100 million now and to increase to about 150 million in 2030. What an astounding miracle of God that is. So why did the gospel advance under such circumstances? This is what one analyst writes. Uh, firstly, our persecution created a focus on eternity uh, rather than present circumstances and surroundings. That's one. Two, it created a passion for soul winning, for seeing people come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Third, it created a passion for God's word. You see, the lack of God's word made uh, the, the scriptures more valuable than gold to believers. Isn't it easy to take these things for granted? You see, the communist government could imprison Christians just like the Romans could chain up Paul, but they could never chain the gospel. And in this, Paul rejoiced because he put Christ and his gospel first. When you hear stories of the gospel like that in China, how do you feel? Do you feel inspired? Do you feel encouraged? I do. Maybe also like me, it's a little, like a little kick up the backside, right? You're too busy to serve Jesus? You're worried about what people might think? Go tell that to Paul. That's what Paul's imprisonment did for Christians. It inspired, it encouraged them. Look what he says in verse 14. Because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Paul chains advance the gospel inside of prison, but also outside of prison through believers like us that were inspired by his example. But not all who encouraged to preach Christ did so for Paul or for Christ. Some preached for selfish reasons, right? It says there uh, in 15, uh, uh, from envy and rivalry, and in verse 17, out of ambition, and they were hoping to stir up trouble for Paul while he was in prison. We don't know exactly who these people were or why they were annoyed at Paul, but we do know that they weren't teaching another gospel, right? They preached the true gospel of Christ, regardless of what was going on in their hearts. However, though their motives were self-serving, it didn't stop the gospel. Their ministry saw real fruit because the gospel was still true and because God is so infinitely wise and powerful, his purposes can be served even by those who don't serve him, right? Uh, reading this passage really caused me to reflect on some of the stories that I've been hearing lately of the breakdowns in these high-profile, apparently gospel-preaching churches uh, and their failures in leadership. Now, I'm not going to name them now, but what is common that underneath the kind of spectacular growth of some of these churches, there's been a toxic culture of bullying and abuse and a trail of destroyed lives. I don't know if you've had experience of that personally or you know uh, maybe a church that has 
where that's happened. And as you kind of sit back and look at it all, the kind of question arises, was any of that real? Was God really working there? Or was it all fake? Was it a sham? I don't know uh, the hearts of any of the leaders involved, whether they were wolves in sheep's clothing or they were just deeply flawed individuals. But what's clear, and I've followed one of these stories very closely, is that the gospel fruit was undeniable. Story after story of people coming to Christ, sent on mission, of marriages healed, of freedom from addiction and of transformed lives. Now, of course, none of this excuses horrible abuse and sin. It doesn't matter how successful a ministry is, doesn't excuse it. Uh, Too often, uh, abusive leaders have been protected and victims have been neglected because ministry has been successful. God will not tolerate that. The good never justifies sin. But on the other hand, sin doesn't erase the fruit either. Sometimes Christ is preached out of false motives, but God can still work to bring people to Christ. And so we mourn the sin and the pain and the hurt. But like Paul, we rejoice in the fruit, in the transformed lives. I imagine at times Paul felt hurt and betrayed by those who were attempting to wound him. I reckon he was probably angry. But we're we're capable of feeling lots of emotions at once, aren't we? Even conflicting ones. And so Paul's gospel priority meant that even though he suffered, he could still rejoice. Verse 18, yes, I will continue to rejoice for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Again, Paul's confidence is striking. He expects deliverance. Now, the deliverance Paul is talking about here could be released from prison, but he also could be talking about his ultimate deliverance. Uh, That's the word that's used here. That's what it most often means, salvation in eternity. And I think that makes sense of what he says next in verse 20. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life and release from prison or by death. Paul expects that through the prayers of the Philippians and the power of the Holy Spirit that he will persevere, that he will stay faithful to Christ no matter what happens. And so even though he's facing death, his main priority isn't escape. It's that Christ would be exalted in him regardless of whether he lives or dies. I remember hearing the testimony of a Nigerian brother He shared how he and his wife were held hostage uh, by men with machetes ready to kill them. 
for professing and preaching Christ. And by a miracle of God, they escaped. Uh, the people who are leading the meeting where I was at, they offered to pray for him for protection and for safety. And he politely said, yes, but you see, the gospel was spreading because of the persecution. So instead he asked us to pray that they would keep preaching the gospel fearlessly. That we would stand firm even unto death. It's like Paul. Our safety and protection, okay to pray for, good to pray for. That's not what Paul is desiring most here. It's that he'll have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. And Paul shares, explains more in verse 21. Listen to what he says. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. What remarkable words to have on your lips. What incredible words to have engraved on your heart. For to me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. May these words be true of us. For Paul, life is all about Jesus. It means being devoted to the spread of the gospel and the welfare of God's church. But death means being with Christ now, immediately, going to behold his face, to be bathed in his perfect love. And so he says in verse 23, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. Often when, we, uh, when a Christian dies, we think, how awful, what a, tra- what, a, what a tragedy. And it is for us. Sometimes it's incredibly painful, sometimes it feels too painful to bear. But for the believer who dies, it is better by far because they've gone to be with Jesus. No more sadness, no more suffering, no more pain, no more tears, only glory. And if they could come back, that's what they'd say. I know you're sad. I know you miss me, but it's better here because I'm with Jesus. And one day you'll see that too. Imagine, imagine just just for a moment we could experience the bliss of Christ's presence. Wouldn't it just transform us? How much would we, uh, what we fuss over now, how much of that would just become trivial? And how much more would we live for Jesus, confident and fearless in the gospel. We'll know by sight then 
Now we know that by faith, don't we? Let's pray for faith. Well, Paul knows that this glory awaits yet in verse 22. He is still torn. You can kind of feel the struggle as he writes this letter. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labour for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. He's torn. Now, if he's the only one to consider, the choice is easy. It means death, right? Because that means uh, being with Jesus and that's better by far. But that's not how Paul makes decisions, right? For himself. He puts the gospel first, right? Christ's plan for him is to keep preaching the gospel and serving others, including the Philippians. And so being alive, being with them, that's what he will choose. Brothers and sisters, Our joy comes from what we live for. Paul was in prison and faced the very real prospect of execution. And now if his own welfare was most important to him, there'd be no joy and contentment in this letter, right? Only despair and misery. But because he put Christ and his gospel first, he could rejoice. Paul's not a unicorn. He's not a one-off, a mythical believer. He's an example to us. He says later in chapter 3, verse 17, join together in following my example. That's his encouragement, 3.17. Now, following Paul's example doesn't mean being the next big A apostle, Though if on your next morning walk you get visited and commissioned by Jesus, please do come and tell us. That's useful information. Following in his footsteps uh, may not mean suffering like him, though it may. But it does mean sharing his mindset. And it will mean sacrifice because we worship the same Lord and are entrusted with the same gospel. And there are lots of ways to put the gospel first. It's kind of a big banner statement, really, that should govern our whole lives. Let's keep giving sacrificially to the work here at St. Jude's and beyond, amongst uni students, amongst the housing estates, overseas mission. Let's keep doing that, putting the gospel first that way. Perhaps now the time has come that we can reflect on your job and your career is what you're doing now the best way that you could serve Christ or are there other opportunities you could take up? Could you deliberately set a new direction in your life that helps you better serve people and our community? Perhaps you could even dial back your commitments so you've got more space to serve God in different ways, maybe here at church or building relationships in your community. That's a way to put the gospel first. Uh, today we've spoken about our 4pm service. Uh, the reason we're starting it really is right there in verse 12 to advance the gospel, right? Our desire is that more people would come to faith in Christ. And so have you considered the 4pm congregation in those terms? Could you serve there? 
Are there people in your lives that you could invite that, for whatever reason, won't come at 10? For some, it might be a decision that's really hard to couch. It might be hard to leave 10. But sacrifice is part of what it means to put Christ and his gospel first. There are good reasons to cope, but there's also good reasons to stay. So whatever you decide, make a decision about Christ and put the gospel first. As I said, it's a big kind of banner statement that should govern our lives. But there are lots of potential barriers uh, that get in our way of doing that. Uh, For Paul, they were pretty clear. Imprisonment and death. Uh, At the moment, we don't really face those. But there is a barrier I think a lot of us face in our kind of revved up society, and that's our time. Or rather, lack of it. Uh, a, a, A phrase that's kind of recently entered our vocabulary is that we're time poor. You know, we're all time poor. Uh, last week, I, I really liked what John said about time poor. It wasn't so much that we were time poor, but we were, were kind of option rich. I reckon it's a much better description of our situation. You see, people in poverty often, not always, but often, are victims of their circumstances, right? But when it comes to our time, that's not really us. We're not time poor because we're victims, we're time because we give our time away to things. Uh, Sometimes things just happen in our lives that mean we need to drop everything. Uh, Somebody gets sick, you get sick. Other things like that happen. But mostly we make active choices about how we use our time. And for us, as privileged as we are, there are so many good options for us to choose. We're option-rich. And so I want to ask us, take away the question with you this week. When we say yes to some things, whether that's sport or work or other commitments, are we inadvertently putting up barriers in our lives that stop us serving Christ? Are we doing that? You see, a lot of those things, they're good things to do. They're not bad. They're not bad. But sometimes serving Christ isn't about between choosing good and bad. It's, be- it's about between choosing good and better. The choices we make reflect what we value. If my life choices mean I'm not prioritising church and things that help me grow and serve Jesus and his people, perhaps it's time to review those choices. Paul's example is inspiring and it's an invitation to all of us to share in his mindset, to pour out our lives for the one who poured out his life for us, to put Christ and the gospel first. I'm going to invite up the musicians now. I'm going to lead us in a song called Take My Life. And this song really is a prayer, and it's a prayer of commitment that we would employ everything that we have in Christ's service. So if that's your prayer, please stand 
and sing and pray with us.